Hey, Team Female. You're listening to Female Political Strategy, the podcast Female First, Female Forward. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle. So a couple of weeks ago, Lilith and I were discussing doing an episode on gun control. And I made a throwaway comment like, uh, let's just not do it in general, but talk about it in the context of current events. And Lilith wondered when that would happen. And I, I said, or, what did you say? No, go ahead. No, I said, oh, let's just wait until America has its next school shooting. And then we can talk about it then. And it was within hours. <laughs> yeah. So, And I was like, no, I felt so guilty. I was like, no, I manifested a school shooting. Fuck. <laughs> it wasn't you. It wasn't you. We did it to ourselves. Like, Yeah. <laughs> the likelihood of you being correct at this point is very very, very high on any given day. Uh, I think in that conversation, we were, we weren't saying if America has another school shooting, but when. Yeah. So yeah, that's the state. That's the state of America. This is America. This is America, which brings us to this episode and topic today. Which school shooting are we talking about? I think there's been several school shootings since we talked. I hate that. Well, not even just school shootings, just public shootings, because not all of the shootings have been at schools. There's just been people that have brought guns to public places, including schools, and murdered people. Yeah, which is what happened right after Lilith said that. And we're, we're not talking like gang shootings or internal violence, not that that's excusable, but we're talking unprovoked or unsuspecting strangers going out to have their day and being shot by somebody who doesn't know them. Yeah, not acquaintance violence, but a, a public shooting, meaning they shot at people not particularly related to, related to the incident. So um, the most recent one was the one that took place... As of the recording of this episode. Yeah, as of the recording of this episode, Oxford High School. So this is in Michigan. The suspect is a 15-year-old sophomore who now faces multiple first-degree murder and terrorism charges in the deadly Monday afternoon attack. His name is Ethan Crumbly. Do we want to name him? Apparently that's the thing where you shouldn't name school shooters because it makes them more famous or something well it's everywhere yeah maybe okay yeah it's kind of hard to avoid at this point because his pictures i want to roast his entire existence like just fuck this guy yeah absolute don't fuck this guy (laughs) (laughs) this kid sucks (laughs) yeah this kid is awful so uh, it's about 40 miles outside of detroit as of today there are four dead because of the shooting and seven injured so uh between this school shooting and all the other public shootings that we've suffered in the past two decades in America, it starts to beg the question, should men be allowed to own guns? No, they should not. I'm willing to debate the conversation. (laughs) I think women should be allowed to have guns, but that's because women are more level-headed and capable of rational thought and less capable of violence than men. But I think men, unless they have permission from their wife or their mother, they shouldn't be allowed to have guns, (laughs) really. (laughs) I think you get a set of government-issued construction paper scissors when you turn 18 and that's it and then if you want to fire arm after see that, what you do with that yeah see what you do with that then we give you progressing responsibility <laughs> <laughs> then you can touch the kitchen knives yeah just makes sense to me there needs to be a graduated licensing program for male gun ownership yeah but only for men and it gets revoked between the ages of like 18 and 24 because that's when they commit the misviolence yeah i'm just playing devil's advocate i am not condoning this the only thing I wanted to add to that is I, the male gun ownership is seeming a little sus for me right now, but I will say mandatory female gun like education, familiarization, and ownership, hell yeah. I'd totally be, I, yeah, I totally support that 100%. So you'd support a social program that gave women handguns and taught them how to use them? If you want to subliminally call me a socialist in that sense, no, because I don't like- Would you be a socialist? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
gun socialism for the greater good. I mean, gun socialism. <laughs> Take one for the team for that one. Marks honestly would be so proud of me. He'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, queen, violent revolution. Did you get another one? <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. I would fund a startup that would get guns in women's hands. That's the capitalist in me. Okay, so I'm I'm of the view that the government should, there should be a government mandated handgun for every woman and you're of the view that, no, it should be private enterprises that make sure that all women have guns. <laughs> Who should get guns to women? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the real question. So which... I guess boils down to should men own guns. So what have what good things have men done with guns so far? Yeah, what's it like with men in the military? Because it's more regular. I'm guessing like men just can't just shoot random guns. Like they're in the military. I'm guessing it's more regulated. Do you know what a desk pop is? No, what's that? It's when your gun goes off and where it's not supposed to go off. And it's usually like their desk. It happens so many times that has a name. It's called desk pop. Is it usually men who do this? Of course. Well, except I am sad and loathe to say this. Um, the one negligent discharge, it's actually what you call that, um, ND that happened in special operations recently was the first female Green Beret. Sorry to put you out there, homegirl, but you did it. <laughs> yeah, she didn't make sure her chamber, there was not around in her chamber, and she shot through the wall. But luckily, didn't like hit anybody because she didn't have neighbors. So yeah, there's a pretty infamous video of an FBI agent that did a backflip at a party and had a gun in his pocket and then shot someone at that party. <laughs> what? Tell me that was a male. Was this person a man? Yeah, absolutely, was a male. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I'm I'm glad that made up for it, right? I feel like it's reasonable, or maybe like a reasonable mistake to perhaps maybe forget having emptied your gun, but. The kinds of crimes and accidental shootings that men do are often just <laughs> Darwin Award worthy, insane tricks or things that make no sense. And then they end up killing people over it. Right. Like, oh, hold up this garbage can lid and see if it stops this bullet. Like, <laughs> right, right. Can a bullet pass through? <laughs> I, I had a teacher that admitted to shooting himself in the foot just to know what it felt like. Why the foot? That's like the hardest place to heal. Like just wanted to know what it felt like. And yes, he did actually walk a little bit uh, with a limp. So it has the most amount of bones. And yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> like at least shoot yourself in the arm or somewhere with less bones. Like that's just weird to me. I don't know. But yeah, men are, men are famously Darwin Awards ish and have poor judgment. So they are 99% of all like Darwin. Or, like hold my beer. It's not, hey, homegirl, hold my beer. It's dude, hold my beer. And it looks like. Yeah, it's not, sis, hold my Cosmo, it's bro, hold my beer, because he's about to do some dumb shit. Men famously have bad judgment, and I don't, I think that a man, a man holding a gun is like someone who doesn't know how to drive behind the wheel or something. It's just not a good... Because they're big enough. <laughs> you know, just because, oh, you're an adult now, okay, here's your car, right? You know, you've never driven on the road before, kind of thing. <laughs> so I will say, though, like, when it comes to gun ownership, right, as the labeled resident conservative... um, Definitely pro-gun, pro-2A, love it. But I think the conversation that people don't really want to have is the boring one as to, like, regulation. And I think absolutely unregulated gun ownership is bonkers. What? <laughs> I just want to say, I was surprised to hear this. Like, people think that we didn't vet L correctly. And I have to say that in the vetting conversations, I was really pleasantly surprised to learn that L is a conservative who actually supports gun regulation. Like, how crazy is that? Well, think about it. Think about it, right? Like, as a gun owner, I don't want just anybody to have a gun. That's insane. That's terrifying. Like, if this person just shot and killed, like, their entire family and, like, a few other people in the process, and they went to prison and then somehow got out on parole because it happens, like, I don't want them to have access to a gun. Yeah. Right? Smart. 
And then, like, if this person has, like, a history of a psychotic breakdown that led to, like, the police getting involved, I would probably take a second look as to, like, hey, should this person have a gun? Like, they shouldn't be able to go to, like, the next sporting goods store and buy a gun. Fun fact, that's how I got my gun within, like, an hour. (laughs) Yeah, some people think it's insane that you can literally buy guns at your local Walmart supermarket in some places. Yeah. (laughs) Or uh, at gun shows. And you don't really need much by way of identification. It's just literally like you would purchase any type of retail product. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I feel I feel it's bizarre to me that guns are regulated less than cars, right? Oh, agreed. It's actually insane that that's the case. Like, I, I just want to start out by saying, like, my view on guns is, like, I'm mostly happy with Canada's gun ownership laws. Basically, in Canada, the way it works is you have to do a week-long course, get a position and acquisition license, and then you can purchase guns after that. But to me, the benefit, it's similar, it's the same logic to me as you have to pass a driving test in order to drive a car, right? I wouldn't want someone who doesn't know how to r- drive a car behind the wheel on the highway, right? The same way I wouldn't want an uneducated person who doesn't know how to handle a gun safely to go around there with a gun, right? Exactly. And it also creates some barriers so that, like, not just anybody can have a gun, right? It makes it a little bit more difficult to get. Yeah. The opposition to that has been coming from supporters of the NRA that basically believe that any type of gun registration or gun tracking is a violation of the Second Amendment and that the purpose of the Second Amendment is for people to be able to take up arms against the government in the event that the government tries to impose some kind of totalitarian rule and that giving the government the ability to track firearms would be essentially giving them too much information that they could then use to attack sovereign citizens, so to speak. So some on my side argue, and I'm sympathetic, I don't know how much I agree with with it, but I'm sympathetic to the sentiment that like we do have the right to bear arms in the Constitution, right? And in the U.S., the Constitution is indelible. I mean, for the most part, I think there's been like a couple changes as of late, but for the most part, that Bill of Rights has not changed. And with it being like within the Bill of Rights, people would say you don't have the right to own a car in the Constitution. You have the right to own a gun in the Bill of Rights. And so to bring that up for conversation is... To me, it's like we're not trying to ban, you know, the right to own guns. It's how people like can use that right, you know, how they can access guns. I mean, they also didn't have cars when they were writing the Constitution 300 years ago. So there's that. And they also didn't have AK-47s or AR-15s or tanks. So, I mean, things have changed a lot since then. (laughs) You don't have the, I mean, you don't have the right to own a tank, but I I see what you're saying. Um, (laughs) Would be cool to own a tank, not going to lie. Um, yeah, <laughs> drive it to the grocery store. Right. But I, I do like the idea of everybody, you know, like if there was a subsidized way to facilitate gun ownership, I would totally be for that. I, I don't think people... But only for women. Yeah, like, <laughs> but only for women. Like you have the right to free speech and you have the right to a gun, but guns still cost money. That's That's a barrier to owning a gun. If you can't afford it, you can't have it. So like, should guns be free? There's actually a really famous... Chris Rock joke where he makes a suggestion that we should make bullets a million dollars each. <laughs> so just make it very, very expensive to shoot somebody. Make make the guns cheap and make the bullets expensive. So they already are, just so you know. Like, owning ammo is practically like owning Bitcoin at this rate. Like, the price of ammo, like, rises and falls. You might as well invest in ammo at this point. We're practically a socialist nation. Yeah, what's going on with that? Because is there ammo shortages or... Yeah, yeah. Every time, like 
the crazy Confederate, the, the people that have Confederate flags on their land, right? Not normal working, normal, like conservatives. I'm talking like they're in the backwoods. They've never seen a black person. I have a hundred guns. People get spooked. They buy all the ammo, all of it. Oh, the preppers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they have this. That's the thing. That's what I find so weird about these kinds of people is they're actually planning for a societal breakdown. Like they're goal is it's almost like it's almost like the goal is to like they want a tyrannical government that they can shoot at if that makes sense right and it's just so backwards to me it's it's so like antisocial. yeah well it's a fantasy right it's an american fantasy and gun culture is just a big part of the american ethos and always has been y'all are fucking weird man damn (laughs) so a lot of these guys fancy themselves would be heroes in the event that there's some kind of hostile takeover of the government, right? It's, it's a piece of Americana and that's a big part of why it's so hard to introduce even, introduce even basic regulations around gun control because it cuts into the people's fantasies. And those people who are really passionate about this aspect of Americana are the kind of people who vote in large numbers. So it's really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're mobilized. They're mobilized, right? Because they're, they're, they're a self-styled militia. You know, we need to get a female only militia. Okay. We need to fight fire with fire. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Allah, what was it? Gaddafi's like personal security. His entire like secret service was women. Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I did know that, but wasn't it really horrible for them? Like he actually, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, didn't he, like, rape a bunch of them, too? Uh, yeah, he raped and imprisoned them a lot. So it was mostly for show and because he fancied himself a ladies' man. A ladies' man, yeah. Direct access. But fairly forward. So that's the closest I know of, like, a fully female militia. Other than, um, what's the women from the Marvel Universe? The Amazon? No. Uh, well, the Amazons, too. But the ones that were from Black Panther. Ah. Um, female warriors. What are they called? The Dora Milaje warriors. Everyone but the, every, yeah, <laughs> the only, only, only female, all female um, militia that we know of seems to be either in the Marvel universe <laughs> or DC. Yeah. Marvel universe, but also, yeah. Or, yeah. Or some kind of dictatorship regime. So <laughs> there was also a female, I wouldn't call them a militia, but like a female uh, enforcement wing of Scientology at one point. What? Because L. Ron Hubbard basically employed this is such a long crazy story you should read up on l ron hubbard he's a psychopath but at one point he's a fun 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 story he literally was like um training 14 15 year old girls to enforce scientology policies with guns Uh, i don't know if he gave them guns but it was just like oh it was a female militia or it's like some kind of militia but every time you see these happen it seems to be centered around some charismatic psychopath or charismatic cult leader or dictator so it's almost indicative if there's a female militia around. If there's a female militia, it's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say, though, that like in the context of like fighting male violence, I do see guns as a, the sort of great equalizer. The only problem with that is that the majority of women who are abused or the, the majority of men who attack women attack women that they know. And women in that situation very rarely want to shoot their abuser to kill. And in fact, you've seen this in stories time and time again, where a woman will give a warning shot instead of actually shooting to kill. And it's weird because in the standard ground laws, you know, you're allowed to use force that's like one level above what they're using against you. So if a man is like attacking you as a woman, then I guess that means you can uh, use a gun, but that means you actually have to shoot the guy. It's not legal anywhere to fire a warning shot into the ceiling 
because that could kill somebody else, right? So yeah, I do think that if we do decide to go down the route of arming women as a defense against men, we also need to teach the mental fortitude of like, realize this guy is your abuser. Aim for center mass, okay? Don't be doing warning shots. Don't be like waving it around, trying to threaten him, that kind of stuff. I know that feeling where like, you're like, oh, this guy's about to fucking kill me, but I just want to scare him so that he doesn't kill me. I don't actually want to hurt him. No, we have to get women to be used to the idea of hurting men if their lives are being threatened. Look at you. (laughs) So two points with that. One is, I know we brought this up on the FDS podcast, but the time to have left these guys is way, 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 way before you feel compelled to take up firearms. True. Absolutely. And actually the biggest problem with getting women away from abusers is for them to even recognize the signs of abuse and or if they have the financial capability. So that's my first point because I feel like the scenario, the most often scenario where a woman should use deadly force would be if a guy is stalking her. True. Like he's actually violated his restraining order because we all know that the police are useless when it comes to protecting women from stalkers and men who would come to do harm to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my first point. Secondly, I think that um, oh, what was my second point? Sorry. Didn't you have a statistic about how women are most often victims of gun violence? Yeah, women are much more likely to be victims of gun violence. If there's a gun in the home. Yeah. Right. So the other caveat is that it would have to be, it would literally have to be her own home where she had the gun that the man was encroaching on her actual property. Because if the gun's in the house and they're still living together, there's far more of a likelihood that he would use the gun to murder her than she would have the wherewithal or the ability to get it to defend herself. So that's just sort of the pushback on that. That's the other thing is when women are being abused by a man who's like their husband or their boyfriend, he's probably going to know where her gun is, right? Yeah. And so it does happen at times where... You know, if the woman's untrained, especially, he could get the gun away from her and use it to shoot her. I think one thing that we all need to kind of understand, and I think comes from like our female bias of thinking men are there to protect us. Police men, people generally are not there to protect us. They might want to, they might be inclined to, but we cannot expect that, right? So we have to hold our own best interests at heart. And I not only 100% support female gun ownership and mass female gun ownership, but like it should be taught in grade school that women not only like sexual health and gun safety, women need to know that there are very, very bad actors out there. Not only do you need to shoot the person to kill and maim them if they are a threat to you, that you are okay to do that. And that's like not a part of our cultural psyche as women. It's like, oh, we need to be careful. I don't want to like hurt his feelings. Like, no, bitch, hurt his feelings, hurt his life. He's out to get you. (laughs) That's the thing. Men will just kill their wife straight up and not feel sad. They'll shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing, right? Like men, when they've decided that they want to kill their wife or their girlfriend, they'll just do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas women, even when a guy is actively abusing them and treating them like shit, there's still that glimmer of hope that he could go back to being the nice guy that he was in the first three months or something. And so they feel bad and don't want to shoot him. I'm like, no, girl. Like, (laughs) nah, sis. Yeah. (laughs) Shoot to kill. (laughs) Yeah. And the scary thing is that there's been a couple of incidents in the news recently about where a woman did have a gun, but the men immediately escalated it. So the other risk is obviously like you, you almost have to be ready to shoot to kill because if you brandish a weapon and the guy is like, yeah, insane. Yeah. The kind of person who's going to actually quickly escalate whatever situation there is, like you could actually, again, get killed. So it's, it's actually really, really difficult, even if we were to arm women to put them in situations where they would feel confident to shoot, but also where they would be at an advantage and not be at the mercy of the man who's trying to hurt them. Yeah. Also, um, 
Can I talk about my favorite serial killer? It's really relevant. <laughs> Your favorite serial killer? Okay, go ahead. My favorite serial... I have I have a few. I have a few, like, likes. But my favorite, Eileen Wuornos. Do you guys know her story? It's the movie... Um, oh, yeah. Monster, right? She's, like, this prostitute that killed a bunch of dudes, allegedly, or whatever, right? But the reality of it, right? And this goes to show how the narrative of men using guns and women using guns is just cast so differently. Granted, she was a sex worker. It's a thing that she did. But they were men that she said were trying to rape her while soliciting sex from her in self-defense. And that entire argument was just left out of how they painted her and made her this, like, hooker murderer person. And granted, I haven't seen the movie Monster yet, but I have, like, read up on a lot of her. And the trials were like, you are this insane, sex-hungry predator that kills innocent men that are just trying to get laid. I'm like, at truck stops. Yeah, the mo- the movie is much more sympathetic, and Charlize Theron kills it as usual. But there there seemed to be a turning point where she stopped killing guys in self defense and then started killing them for fun. <laughs> Queen, no <I'm> kidding. <laughs> I do not feel bad for men who solicit sex from poor drug addicted women, but I don't. Yeah, but basically, like she has a very tragic, violent rape. And then it kind of triggers something in her that becomes very violent. So she starts like shooting guys who try to rape her in self-defense and then eventually just starts shooting guys just to do it. So I think she just kind of goes off the rails, which then I guess paints her as less of a sympathetic victim. But I think the movie tried to give a little bit more of a balanced view of her rather than the trial. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying like she's, you know, character, like human of the year, anything of the sort, but you know, like as a woman, she did something that would not get a man characterized as a serial killer or as a cold-hearted menacing killer he'd be like oh my god this poor mentally ill guy who was like victimized this many times finally went off the rails and what were we to expect you know whereas like her trials she was this cold calculating menacing person and it's gun ownership in women really needs to be something that we need to strategize as a community of women, half the population of the earth. Yeah. I think part of that is educating women, not just in the physical aspect. Cause as Rose said earlier, like it's like when you get to the point where you have to use gun violence, like there's so many opportunities where you could have left him before that. But I do absolutely think that women should be able to use guns to defend themselves against stalkers because first of all, stalkers. Yeah. That's where it gets dangerous. That's where it gets dangerous. Yeah. hundred percent. These are cases where women have tried to leave and often they're men who've been rejected or her ex or whatever has that attitude of like, if I can't have you, no one will. And so male violence very often is preceded by stalking behavior like men who kill women almost always proceed that with stalking behavior Mm -hmm. we need to change the laws actually such that the police will like do something about that because they seem to have this view that like oh well until he actually kills you then we're not going to do anything right and so it creates this really vulnerable situation where women are just like sitting ducks just waiting to be murdered and then they'll give a shit well not in gun states so in the state of texas if someone is on your property or is an actual visible threat to you, you can shoot them. So like, say you see somebody that's walking towards you in a really, you know, I mean, you're a woman, odds are you're probably not built like a linebacker or an average sized dude. Most women are smaller than dudes. And this man is walking towards you and it's like, you don't know him. It's dark and you're scared and you shoot him. The law's in your favor. And they teach you that in like concealed carry and gun licensing classes. And it's not to say that like, go around and kill people because they're walking towards you. But it's not like bluer states here in the U.S. where you have to sit here and say, well, he didn't have a gun in his hand and all of that stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, if a man is attacking a woman, I do see that as... I, I Another law that needs to change is every time a man attacks a woman, it automatically needs to be seen as aggravated assault because he's using... A man's fists are a more powerful weapon than a woman's fists. And so he's automatically using a higher, like a a more powerful weapon against her. And so, yeah, if a man is approaching a woman in a threatening way and she uses a gun in self-defense, it should, yeah, if a man attacks a woman, it should be seen automatically as a stand your ground thing. Yeah. Go queen. It's so hard to talk about this because it's just always state by state, right? There's so many different interpretations of castle doctrine about like when, what is your property and how much force can you use if you're on your property and what has to happen for you to feel threatened enough to justifiably murder someone. It's such a legal minefield and it's really determined by what state and then even down to the county sometime about what's actually a practical application of self-defense laws when it comes to gun violence. The misapplication of which, I mean, we've seen a couple of people shoot at people that were essentially innocent and it's just felt like, okay, well, I don't know how much we want to arm. I'm I'm very against like American vigilantism. (laughs) So I don't know that you should be able to shoot at somebody who comes and like rings your doorbell. There's a guy that did that. And it was just some kids like trying to sell candy or something, chocolate bars. Yeah. (laughs) And he shot at them because they were black kids. But um, things like that make a little bit nervous. But when it comes to like the specific scenarios in which women should invoke castle doctrine, definitely in their home, but arguably in their car. And I think you guys are trying to make the argument that maybe even just on their person anywhere. (laughs) Well, I'm going to defend my person. Like that's not that's self-defense in its purest form. And if I'm not mistaken, um, the castle doctrine for the most part, like you can't just shoot somebody because they rang your doorbell. They need to like make or like actively try to break in your door. You know, like there's there needs to be a use of like force if you can't see them on your property. It's true. And I know I know it's super open to interpretation because I know a guy went to jail for actually he did shoot someone who broke into his house who was like high on crack. And then he actually went to jail for manslaughter. So every state is different. So there's some states where you, if the person isn't armed, you're still not allowed to shoot them, even if they break into your house. But let's let's circle back to because we're talking about stranger attacks on women, which are unlikely. I want to talk about a law professor in Canada called Elizabeth Sheehy. She has a book called "Defending Battered Women on Trial," and she has a passage where she talks about how quote men can kill women with their bare hands, and they do. Women almost never kill that way. They can't. While very few women kill abusive men who are asleep or passed out, it's unfair to charge them with first-degree murder, she argues. It's not fair to characterize it as the most heinous form of murder because it may be their only route to survival. So she's referencing the fact that in the law, when a man kills a woman, it's often second-degree murder or manslaughter, very rarely uh, first-degree. When women kill men, they often go to prison for much lo- and have much longer sentences because it's premeditated. And that's the thing. Because of men and women's different physical size, men can just kill women with their bare hands and they don't have to think about it in advance, right? But women can't do that. They like their bare hands are not enough to defend themselves, right? So often women who are abused will kill their husband in their sleep or use poison or something like that. And that's seen as premeditated. So this is an example of of a legal policy that while it's meant to be gender neutral, in practice, it ends up favoring men. And there was a Tumblr post that I'm kind of reading from that does an analysis of, uh, She's book and it's about and basically uh, they go on to say there have been 
A lot of feminist analyses of this already, but it's worth discussing how the concept of self-defense, especially in domestic violence cases, was designed by men to benefit men. In my country, Canada, your attack is only considered legitimate self-defense if it's A, necessary, B, immediate, and C, proportionate. The concept of self-defense that only applies if you hurt or kill someone while they're actively attacking you, and if you hurt or kill them using the same weapons as him. So your bare hands, if that's what they're using. It only benefits people who are likely to be attacked by people of similar size and physical strength, and it's utterly useless to women. When a bigger, stronger male beats up his much smaller wife, it's almost impossible for her to kill him in self-defense immediately and proportionally, i.e. with nothing but her fists. And yet it's the only scenario through which she can be hoped to be acquitted or get a light sentence. And the other two scenarios, which she will be despised for if she picks them, are for her to A, kill him later when he can't use his physical advantage, such as when he's asleep or has his back turned on her, but it won't be self-defense because it won't be immediate. In the Jacqueline Savage case, one of the main arguments against her is that she shot her husband in the back at the time that he wasn't actively beating her up. And two, her other option is to use a weapon, but then it won't be considered self-defense because it won't be proportionate. Obviously, this condition also benefits men because when a woman gets punched by her husband and she punches him back, it's seen as proportionate, but it shouldn't be considered that way because her punch won't do nearly as much damage as his. Anything else she does, like use a weapon to try to hurt him, as much as he hurt her will be considered disproportionate and will mean that it's not self-defense. So this idea that killing your abuser in an honest face-to-face -face fight with your bare hands is honorable and forgivable, but killing your abuser in any other way is shameful and wrong, utterly benefits men and protects men. It's also why poison was historically reviled as a female weapon and as the most cowardly way to kill someone. Poison has been described as a great equalizer, so no wonder men hated it. Men have always hated and will keep hating, shaming, outlawing any form of attack through which women can compensate or disadvantage in strength and size, and they'll keep praising as the only valid methods of self-defense, the method that presents the smallest risk of being effectively used by women against them. I mean, the point of having a gun is to make sure that you have an asymmetric advantage. Yeah. Like, that's the point of self-defense. You want to fucking win. It's now a matter of life and death, and you're trying to spare yours. This is no longer a negotiation. So, of course, men are going to hate that. So the question to me is, like, what's the alternative? Because right now in most legal systems, they make some kind of differentiation between manslaughter, which is generally something that's an accident, uh, something that was de deliberate killing, but like meaning a uh, second degree murder. So something that was a deliberate killing, but was done in the heat of the moment versus something that was premeditated, meaning they had to plan to kill someone. So is it the argument then to get rid of the differentiation between first and second degree murder? No, I don't think that that's necessary. I do think that there needs to be sort of the, the almost like the female equivalent of like the, the sex gone wrong defense, where when a woman does kill her abuser, that her defense is the battered women defense. And this is a, a law that feminists have been trying to pass for quite a long time. And it's basically the idea that women who are battered are sort of, it's sort of equivalent to like being a, like a political prisoner and like a prisoner of war camp. If a political prisoner were to shoot their captor and escape, you know, you wouldn't hate them, right? You'd be like, well, yeah, you had to kill them in order to escape your imprisonment. Battered women are imprisoned. And in these cases, if you're being imprisoned by force, by coercion, it's necessary to use violence as a means of helping you to escape. Mm -hmm. See, there's, there's something like that in some places, but again, it just comes down to individual enforcement of that law. So there's been situations of sex trafficking victims who have been, for all intents and purposes, uh, captured by their pimp, who have shot their pimp in 
self-defense or shot a John in self-defense. The more famous, the most famous case of recent memory is Centoya Brown, a case that was taken up by Kim Kardashian. Another recent case that happened a couple of years ago that I think is still, I think she's still facing trial is a girl named Crystal Kaiser. She was arrested at 17 for the murder of a guy named Randall Philip Volar III. She says that Volar was her pimp. He met her on Backpage when she was 16. Uh, Volar was previously arrested in 2017 after a 15-year-old black girl reported him to police for giving her drugs and threatening to kill her. He was charged with child enticement using a computer to to facilitate a child sex crime and second-degree sexual assault of a child. He was released the same day and had to pay no bail and was told that he would receive a court summons. So the court records demonstrated that police had evidence that Volar was abusing multiple underage black girls and that there is video evidence of the abuse. Records also showed that the prosecutor's office received the evidence 12 days before Volar was killed and three months after his arrest. So prosecutors alleged that Kaiser killed Volar on June 5th, 2018 by shooting him in the head. So basically this guy, while he was out, not even out on bail because he didn't have to pay bail, he was released by the prosecutor. He was released by the judge, I guess, and then went to see this girl who he was allegedly pimping. And during that time, she murdered him. Right. So then they tried to put her. So they then they arrested her and then she was charged with first degree intentional murder, which carries a mandatory life sentence in Wisconsin. So this is a situation where you have a sex trafficking victim. You have a much older man. If you look at the pictures of this girl, Crystal Kaiser, she's tiny. And you have a much older man who's her pimp who's been abusing her and she shoots him in self-defense, but she's getting the maximum sentence because it's deemed as an intentional, uh, the maximum charge, I should say, because it's in it's viewed as an intentional murder. Even though this man has a history of violence, this man has a history of child sexual abuse, this man has a history of doing violence specifically against her demographic, which is young Black girls that he's been sexually abusing. And in this situation, because I guess she killed him when he came over, it's not considered self-defense. Yeah, this is what I mean about self-defense laws favoring men, right? Because women have to premeditate. I think this is also why women are seen as more manipulative than men, because men can just go up and punch someone in the face Women, we don't have that physical strength, so we have to use our brain, basically. We have to be smarter. And it's no surprise that men essentially, like, demonize women's ability to plan ahead like that. Well, they were saying, too, that the reason why they were charging her with intentional homicide is because she also had a getaway car that she planned to steal his car. So the fact that she planned to steal from him makes them think that she also planned the murder. But she's saying that the murder happened because he tried to rape her. And so this is another situation where... A woman's plotting an escape plan because she's trying to escape from her abuser, but then she kills the guy. So then like, it's making it look like the entire thing was planned out. So it kind of leans credence to what you're saying, Loth, is like, if you're just trying to escape a normally abusive man, anything you would plan to do to escape a man, and then if you kill him during some kind of altercation, it looks it looks like a cohesive crime that everything you were doing was part of the getaway. Yeah. Premeditated. Yeah. Well, and then, then that goes to like, if you if we normalize female gun ownership and normalize educating women to own guns just as much as we urge and like look at little boys and give them toy rifles. If we get women in on that culture, what are the odds that the jury in that trial would have been at least some women would have been familiar and normal with like a woman killing somebody with her gun out of self-defense? You know what I mean? Like you can create a more sympathetic jury if we just perpetuate that culture a little bit further. The Overton window of what is seen as normal needs to be shifted in women's favor because male violence is seen as very much within 
the Overton window as like normalized and women perpetuating violence against men is always seen as like, oh, she's a monster. She's a psychopath. She's a hooker murderer, you know, trying to frame her in the most demonic possible light when in fact she's just an exploitation victim defending herself. All that to say is just culturally more women having guns like that would level the playing field that would probably de-incentivize men to prey on women because something about have you guys shot guns by the way or like own guns yeah i've shot guns um yeah i didn't know how to use a firearm yeah so like the confidence it gives you to like own a thing where this guy can be six foot god and a half and you're like wow if i shoot you somewhere in the three feet of space on your torso you're dead like It's powerful. Yeah. This isn't even, you know, we talk a lot about female empowerment. Uh, Here's the thing. Liberal media will say, oh, it's so empowering for women to be in porn and prostitution. I'm like, you know what's real power? Weapons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Having the power of, like, letting you live. Like, the fact that I could point a gun at somebody and they will shake. Like, that's unadulterated power. That's real power. That's literally hard power, right? The type of power that they try to push on women is this soft power shit, right? It is, yeah. No, we need to get women in a position where they're capable of exercising hard power too. Okay, I know this is more of like an FDS conversation, but this like femininity and this co- this is coming from like shit I heard back in my former red pill days was like, inspire him to want to do things for you, right? Like, no bitch. No, you, I'm not going to inspire you to not want to kill me. I'm going to have a fucking gun. Yeah, the whole inspire him thing doesn't work in the context of domestic abuse. Yeah. It generally doesn't work. This is why I think Julie Bindle is a queen, because she spent much of her career campaigning and advocating and writing to get women who have been battered out of jail after they kill their abusers. Like, that's a very big part of her feminist campaigning and activism. And she's demonized as being one of the bad, mean, horrible feminists now, I guess. But I have to say that she's probably done more, she's probably done more for women over the course of her lifetime than all of the fucking Twitter activists combined. So yeah, queen. I just want to say that. The benefit of this is it also establishes a basis of case law so that women can not be punished for defending themselves against abusers. Like you said, with the trafficking, a lot of the women who are battered or women who are pimped, it's like they're sort of prisoners of war, political prisoners, right? They have no option but to use violence to escape. And also to use violence in a smart way. Like they have to plan ahead, right? Like if someone had a, you know, we watch dramas of like elaborate, you know, prison breaks or uh, elaborate, you know, cases of people escaping from political um, prison camps or whatever, I don't know, like Prison Break is a show that I guess people like. But yeah, like we celebrate people who escape those kinds of imprisonment situations, but we don't celebrate women who escape being imprisoned by men. Yeah. That's bullshit. Fuck the patriarchy. The YPJ, the Kurdish female military. Oh, yeah. All female. The baddest bitches on the block. Oh, I stand the Kurdish. Sorry, why? YPJ. It's the Yipija. That's how they pronounce it. I stand those queens. They're hardcore. The YPJ. The YPJ. Wasn't there another one, um... It was like an Indian mob. Oh, Gulabi Gang. Gulabi Gang. That's another one that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I want to walk back my earlier statement about there only being female militias in context of male 
dominant hierarchies, meaning like a cult leader or a dictator, because of the badass chicks in the YPJ. The YPJ was founded as strictly a women's organization in April 2013. It's an all-female militia involved in the Syrian civil war. The YPJ is part of the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Armed Forces of Rojava, and is closely affiliated with the male-led Rojava. Rojava, hard J. There we go. The Armed Forces of Rojava, and is closely affiliated with the male-led YPG. YPG is the male. So they're a group of badass women, just from like personal perspective. Have you met any in real life? Uh, kind of by proxy. I can't really get into it, but... Just say I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> According... Yeah, I cannot confirm or deny whether or not I have... It's classified. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so by proxy. And these women are so badass. So a, a little like cultural tidbit about the Kurds. Um, they are, if... I hate to admit this, they're very, very communist. Queen. <laughs> mm, I knew like... Love it. <laughs> I'm about to sound more based than I really am. A new word I just learned recently. Um, So they're all for like total equity in society and like collective good, collective this, collective that. And like, they don't call each other by their ranks. They call each other by like comrade and all of that. So like when I say there's true equality between male and female counterparts, the U.S. military can't even touch what they've got going over there in terms of like equity and like the badass females that'll like bitch out a dude that's like acting out of line even if he outranks her so it's like it's doable socially seeing like what kind of like what happens when you empower women and you have that level of force available but i just wanted to contextualize just like the badassery that's overlooked that is the ypj the yipaja so another one was the Gulabi gang in india they're a group of mostly older women that uh, beat down men who try to take child brides and sexually assault women yeah i've been a fan of the Gulabi gang for a while now i have to say queens yeah they attack men who marry children and rapists and again this is in india which is a country that's famously poor at prosecuting sexual assault and so i'm of the view that i know that Rovi said you're nervous about vigilante stuff in my view it is the responsibility of the government to be functioning such that vigilante violence is not necessary so if you live in a unstable government or the government's not doing its job or it's corrupt or it's not prosecuting the people that they're supposed to, there's lawlessness running rampant or violence against women and women are not being protected and so on. I think when the government is not protecting you, women have to take matters into their own hands. And yeah, I think I think vigilante justice is necessary and morally justifiable in the context of non-functioning government. And if the government doesn't want there to be vigilante justice, they need to do better. Step up, do your job. Do better. Step up. <laughs> and, and that's and that's what it, like the spirit of the Second Amendment is, right? Um, it, it's not just to say, hey, everybody have your gun, freak out, and like LARP all day is like Rambo. <laughs> but it, it's really to provide this like social check and balance where if the government is no longer doing what needs to be done, provided there's enough collective understanding of like the injustices that the government is wielding, that people will rise up and be empowered by owning guns. You know, the fucked up thing, though, is that rising up against the government with like rifles and shit is not effective as much now compared to how it used to be, because the government now has like tear gas tanks they have like artillery like the weapons that the government has access to not even the government just your local police force they have military style weapons grade resources which 
is part of the overall militarization of the police, which a lot of people are trying to fight against. But yeah, go ahead. And, and that's why I say it's like the spirit of the Second Amendment. Yeah, because in the 1700s, it was much easier to defend yourself against the government when the two of you had the same weapons. When you and the government have access to the same kind of weapons, then yeah, rising against the government and injustice is maybe more practical. Nowadays, like the government could just like nuke you and there's nothing you can do about it. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, well, it's illegal. But they have, that's the thing. The government has access to nuclear weapons and so many crazy level, like, or, or even just like in China, you've got the facial recognition. You've got like, yes. They, they won't like gun down a crowd of people, but they'll go after the leaders like in the dead of night and disappear them kind of stuff, right? Like technology has made it next level. They also did Tiananmen Square, but that's neither here nor there. But like, okay, China's a perfect example of like the consequences of a limited people right? No one in China, I need to fact check this, but... No, gun ownership is illegal in China unless you're in like a rural area. Yeah, exactly. So it's like now you have an un- a disarmed people that aren't free to do, say, think as they please, social credit system and all that. You can easily roll that out because these people no longer have a decision in their life, you know? So I'm not saying you're going to use your, your nine mil to fend off the National Guard. First of all, the National Guard probably can't collectively use a nine mil, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's just shade <laughs> but like i think there's a s- essence of liberty that comes with gun ownership and it's a very it's a cultural marker of american society that i would love to be wielded and managed appropriately and regulated appropriately but i do not want to limit it any further okay so what are the strategies and takeaways for this episode Women, go on down to your local gun store and buy... No, I'm I'm kidding. I would say, first of all, I think women need to educate themselves in self-defense laws. Understand that there's no such thing as firing a warning shot against your abuser. That's just a bad strategy. First of all, the better strategy is to recognize red flags of emotional abuse and then avoid men like that because physical violence is almost always preceded by emotional abuse in the context of intimate partner violence. So... You can avoid a lot of abusive men or physically abusive men and avoid a lot of physical confrontations just by avoiding those men altogether. But in cases where that can't be avoided, say you're being pimped out or a stranger attacks you, aim for center mass and shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we... Yeah. Do we want to say that in our podcast? They're going to say that we're, that we're advocating violence against men. I will say, don't point your gun at anything you're not willing to kill. Yeah. Agree. Boom. Yeah. Understand the severity and the gravity of that decision. It's not a decision to take lightly, but when it's a matter of life and death, if your life is being threatened, I think using violence to defend yourself is justified. I can't believe that's considered radical, but... You know, I still think we should only give men paper construction scissors. That's my <laughs> strategy and takeaway. I think we need to have a gra- a graduated uh, graduated licensing program. Yeah, yeah, graduated licensing program where men get increasing levels of responsibility before they're allowed to purchase a firearm. Yeah. They have to demonstrate that they have good judgment. And I will die on that hill. I will die on the hill that men need to show that they can exercise good judgment before being allowed to have a gun. (laughs) I guess like my takeaway is, um, and I'll quote a special operator sent me this when I told him, hey, we're talking about female gun ownership. And he was like, well, a firearm is the only weapon I'm aware of that removes a man's physical asymmetric advantage and gives women a chance to defend themselves from an attack. Why would you not want that? He also added that, you know, it's important to add the YPJ and compare them to ISIS brides, where you have the YPJ, the Yipija, that are equal women, and they're also armed. So some would argue they don't do anything, they don't even fight, but they are an equal and functioning member of of that military community because they are fully armed and ready to use it at, you know, 
at a moment's notice. And then you have ISIS brides that are not armed and say something goes awry or they want to go back or anything happens. Do you think they are warriors with guns? No, they are now sold into sexual slavery or they're killed on site or whatever. So you know what's empowering? Guns are empowering because it's power, it's lethal force. Self-care, great. I'm sure like taking a bath and all this, you know, you're important. Go wear pink, go show your tits, cooter out, grow your hair, whatever. Cool. That's that's psychologically empowering. That's soft power. But hard power... Not even, that's fake power. Yeah, right. I was trying to give it some credence, right? And so being able to hold a nine mil and point it at a man that could take you without blinking, who is probably less fit than you are, and know that you have an advantage there, that's true power. Get a gun if you're in the U.S., if you're allowed to in your own country. If it's legal in the state where you live and you can afford it, are there, like, courses for gun owners, you know, before you buy a gun? 100%. Take a gun safety course. Yeah, I'd say definitely, like, take a gun safety course before buying a gun. Understand, never point a gun. Even if you think it's not loaded, like, never point it at something unless you're willing to kill it all right team female you can follow us on twitter at female political we're also individually on twitter and you can check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash female political strategy see you next week Mm